When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Geekscapists? Welcome to a brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, your host, and this is Geekscape. We talk movies, video games, comic books, pop culture, some TV. We've been watching that Game of Thrones. Um, And every week or so, I like to sit down and talk about that stuff. I've been doing it for a long time, if this is your first Geekscape. If it's not, welcome back. I really appreciate you coming back while you're listening. Whatever podcatcher you're on, let's say it's iTunes or on your iPhone, or maybe you're listening on Stitcher. Uh, or what else you got? You got Spotify? Leave us a review, add us to your subscription list, whatever you got, and maybe hit that share button and tell your friends all about Geekscape because we really should be your favorite geek podcast. You might be thinking, well, you would be my favorite geek podcast, but where have you been the last few weeks? To which I will defend myself and say, hey, did you not just get an Avengers Endgame special, which I'll just say is the best Avengers Endgame special on the internet because I brought you Ian Kerner and all of his encyclopedic knowledge of the Marvel Universe and our breakdown of the MCU. Sure. Okay. I did just do that. But where's your regular Geekscape, Jonathan? This was supposed to be weekly. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I've just been kind of trying not to flood your feed with shows that are, I don't know, not up to snuff. If I don't have a guest, uh, sometimes guests fall through. I have been trying to get guests. Uh, and I've got some guests lined up. Um, I don't necessarily want to do a solo show just for the sake of doing a, a solo show just to stay weekly. I don't want to pollute your feed. And also, I don't want to just sit here and use Geekscape as a platform to speak my mind. It, it, that seems a little too egotistical. And I think it's already pretty egotistical to be doing a podcast in the first place. Um, so I've been trying to limit my, my need to just fill your life with noise. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about the fact that... Um, there's a lot of noise going on right now, whether it's coming from social media or your podcasts or from the news. Maybe it's coming from your personal life. There's a lot of noise. So let's take a minute. Let's center ourselves. Let's do a quick little meditation for five seconds. Take a deep breath. And you know what? I'm going to separate the signal from the noise. Everything that is intrinsic to me is important. Everything that is extrinsic is everybody else's fucking bullshit that they're trying to force on me and it causes stress in my life and I don't want any of it. I've been trying not to be those things, Geekscapists. <laughs> so, I haven't been around. Uh, last two weeks I have not done a podcast, but I'm doing a podcast right now. We're going to be talking a bit of John Wick. We're going to be talking Detective Pikachu. We'll be talking about uh, what the, you know, our road to Comic-Con. And I'll be talking with a good friend who's sitting right here with me his name is Eric Francisco. He's a longtime Geekscapist. He now works over at Inverse as a journalist, and he's in L.A. for the big D&D live event. We're going to be talking about that. And Eric, welcome to the show. How did you enjoy your personal meditation? Oh, man, it was great. I feel totally refreshed. <laughs> uh, 
uh, everything else is just noise right now, and I, I'm completely zen. Thank you. It, it feels good to be back on the Geek, Geekscape podcast, Jonathan. It's like visiting your, your, your parents' home, home again. And it's, <laughs> well, it's, I'm, I'm almost... Is my, is my room still the same? I'm almost old enough to be your dad, so <laughs> why not? Um, yes, no, your room uh, got re- refurbished. Uh, we, your room oh, is no. now Matt Kelly's horror dungeon. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you're going to have to wrestle Matt for it. Um, uh, no, everything's great. Um, we, we are f- working on, like, we're editing a couple projects, and I don't know if I can talk about too many of them. Obviously, I'm aware of the Geekscape is now about chasing Fletcher Allen, but did you know the Horror Movie Night boys are doing a pilot? I did not. Is this news? Are you breaking news right now? Uh, no, I think they've talked about it over on their on their thing. I know, okay. But you know, Matt Kelly and, and Scott Roger and those boys, Brian, uh, they've been talking about it because they've been sharing social media posts. But yeah. Horror Movie Night's working on like a um, panel discussion type joke uh, a show where we cover a horror movie every episode. That's great. So if you remember like the old VH1 shows, like I love the 90s, I love the yeah. 80s. Yeah. So what if we did that with a bunch of people talking about specific horror movies per episode, like shitting on like certain funny scenes, and right? Things. But every episode works on a certain horror movie. I taped um, my bits uh, a few weeks ago. What movie? What movie did you guys watch? I, uh, that I don't know if I can reveal because I don't know if it's been revealed. But uh, but we're putting together like a presentation, like a pilot mm-hmm. uh, of the panels. I think my stuff was pretty funny. I recorded. Over forty-five minutes of it. Oh. So <laughs> when it gets pared down, odds and cut are out, it's going to be very funny. Odds are it's just going to be the good stuff. So <laughs> I hope that uh, Brian and Matt, please pare my forty-five minutes down to about thirty seconds max, um, and then you'll get the good stuff. That'll be the really good stuff. So Geeks has been busy with that, and then on top of just uh, we have a brand new website. That we're bringing out this summer for Comic Con. Great, we've been working on that, and uh, there's been a lot of behind the scenes. So, um, my own absence over the last two weeks uh, was just out of like self love, just being like, dude, you are doing too many things. On top of like the other filmmaking stuff, on top of like the fact that I teach two days a week as a professor, like. I gotta, I gotta chill, man. I gotta chill. I gotta take some me time. Remember what Aunt May said to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man in, two, in the 2002 movie? You do too much. You're not Superman. You do too much. You Jonathan. do too much. You're not Superman. Um, <laughs> so there's just been a lot, and uh, and I want <laughs> and so not that we need excuses. And I think I've got people lined up the next several weeks in in through June. So look forward. You to guys are gonna start getting some geekscapes pretty frequently, but. Um, uh, no, it's just been, I, I've, I've sat, you know, uh, my good friend George, uh, hit me up on, on Facebook in, in like a messenger and was like, hey man, where are my Geekscapes? And I just gotta be like, dude, like, I'm not just gonna, I'm just <laughs> gonna do a Geekscape. I used to do that for years, do a Geekscape just to keep it weekly and right. be like, it's gotta be consistent. The internet loves consistency. You were, internet, twi- the, you were Twitch before yeah. Twitch was Twitch. Yeah, the internet also likes trash. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, let, let's keep this in, like, in perspective. Yes, you want your weekly podcast, but it doesn't do you any good to have a weekly podcast that is not good and doesn't have a, a good conversation and doesn't have content. And I appreciate that over the last year I've done two episodes where it's just been me speaking my mind and I do like doing that but there's I also have to balance whether or not I want to give that level of access to people and whether or not I need that as a communal event or if it's just my ego screaming to be my ego and Mm. force itself on other people you know what there's so many great podcasts to listen to I don't want you to unsubscribe to this podcast I'd love for you to share that podcast this podcast but we did launch a new podcast with Derek. Mm-hmm. Derek and Mika. Are Xbox talking, Game the, Pass, right? The Xbox Game Pass podcast is a lot of fun. Um, we've got a ton of podcasts over at Geekscape.net that I'm really excited about. We totally have content for you regularly. Jonathan's voice. Um, I'm just not going to be seduced by the pool of ego. We. Do, I don't want you to become Logan Paul. All right. Yeah. I, I just. Don't, I don't want you to be that, become that guy. I almost. I was thinking about. 
like quitting a lot of the social media and I've already kind of cut Twitter down because a lot because I'm horrified by it. I mean, I wish I could cut down Twitter. Well, it's kind of your job and and I wanted to have an intervention with you because <laughs> I, I, I believe that your role in the clickbait sphere is detrimental and uh, Whoa. and not conducive to an actual contextual conversation. Whoa! And uh, what is and, going on here? And, and, and Eric, it's okay that you make money off of this and you have a job, but you're being paid to be part of the problem. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> hey, man, I wrote you the recommendation letter myself. Do you remember that? Yes. I wrote you the inverse recommendation yes. letter myself. I did not know that you would turn into <laughs> a monster. Pro- a monster. A monster. <laughs> a monster. Um, no, I mean, I, I see what I see what geek media does, and I see what the geek media needs to do in order to keep the churn going yeah, for their yeah. advertising. You, so you, wait, you're talking on like a macro level right now. On a macro level. Yeah, yeah. I see all these sites and all these Twitter accounts and all these things, and they are just adding to this fucking hum that is growing of noise where everybody needs an opinion. And those opinions, in order to compete with the other noise... <laughs> have to be even more louder and more uh what's the word um like they, they have to be uh like brash like they have to be loud and rude and and so everybody's just racing to the bottom because everybody's like well how much can i shit on this or how much can i be shocking or how much can i have an opinion that is um just it, it, it's it's and there's no context to it because you, what, you're, what we're doing with these a lot of these geek sites are we, we're taking a full interview conversation with some of these subjects and we're cutting them down into like seven articles that came out of one conversation so there's not even a context within the conversation you'll take one aspect of that of that conversation which will be like the the thing they mentioned about something that hasn't come out yet like let's say you have an actor from an upcoming uh, superhero movie but you're interviewing them for a horror movie and mm. you have a conversation about the horror movie but you really want to get that get about the upcoming superhero movie once you get it you will have that whole interview but you'll take out that just that one quote and you'll make a whole article about it that starts espousing about theories and things like that there's no context to that there's it was something that they said that is like responsible for rumor creation like it, it, there's no context for it it's mm. not in in and it's in and so you get a, you get a site and they'll they'll have like a little hint of something and then they'll just start the rumor mill mm-hmm. and they'll do it to get hits which i understand their their job is advertising but this isn't a conversation mm. this is a simplification of communication that has turned us into simpletons <laughs> like Desperate for a hit yeah. of information, mm-hmm. why can't you just wait for the fucking movies to come out? You know what I mean? Like, we don't need to be talking about phase six or five of the MCU. We don't mm-hmm. need to be talking about that stuff because. Especially the actors. Like, we don't need to be talking about that stuff. And, and it'll come when it comes, and, uh, and, and it, in, in our days won't be any different for them. Mm-hmm. We will enjoy those movies for two, three hours, and it'll be great. And we'll be so happy that we saw our childhood play out on screen. The next day, we're going to go back to our crappy jobs. <laughs> I will say two, just just two things in in defense. Please, uh, please or, do. Yeah, uh, or not, not even defense, just like counterpoints. One, um, the access that a lot of outlets get, no matter who they are, tends to be really uh, tight, uh, mm-hmm. kind of on a chokehold. So, like, there is an incentive for us to just get the thing that we know is going to work. Um, By work, you mean get the hits? Uh, sure, um, because that's—I mean—that's—that's—that's that's, that's how the economy works. I get how the economy. The works. second, the second thing is, um, it 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 makes for um, in in my at least in my perspective uh-huh. and based on like what, how I work, it makes for much cleaner user experience to have. Let's say I had a fifteen-minute conversation with X individual who's involved with other sure. projects. Sure. Yeah. So like, I can talk to them about the thing that they're working on. And be very, very specific to the thing that they're working on. Like, let's just say, let's talk about the horror movie that they're that I'm interviewing them yeah. for. It's worth having just a separate article for that, just so you can get 
six to eight hundred words just about this, just to learn about this. We can bring up some other stuff too, but we learn just about this, and then break away. After you get those eight hundred words uh, on the horror movie, you get another. Uh, it's just a cleaner user experience to have a separate uh, uh, article uh, talking about their next thing. You don't. Um, you don't believe that splitting those into two not only erodes attention, uh, creates uh, an increased attention deficit. It doesn't, it, but it also cuts your word count down. So we're not even capable of reading books at this point. And, and, and our conversations have been cut down to 180 characters a pop. And if you look around, we're talking in hieroglyphics now. Yeah. Think about that next time you send an emoji, motherfuckers. We are back to sending hieroglyphics to each other. And it won't be long before somebody asks us to build a fucking pyramid and puts <laughs> chains around our neck. I, I see what you're saying. My still, my still. It's my, the dumbing down of conversation. No, well, my still counterpoint to that is just that um, reading a book is different than reading an article on a on a on a phone. I think uh, I know what I want my audience to do. What? Probably read a book instead of reading an article. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. I mean, it's also like you know, newspapers also had a had a. Uh, even like the traditional print newspapers had word limits and 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 uh, and what have you. They they had to work within parameters because sure. of the medium of the paper. Like that's like a great you, point. Yeah, yeah. You had things like uh, uh, page space and 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 everything like that. So, um, I, and, and like we don't. We and you're don't, competing for the above the fold, and you're competing for the front right, page. And right. I there, there is a there is a lot of old habits that have carried over into onto the uh, internet space. But as things have sped so, up. And now yeah. tweets are flying at you so much, and Twitter's the one that I really have a lot of issue with. It's really Twitter that yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in like as the well, I don't think Instagram is doing us any favors either. <laughs> like in the, the glorification process of Instagram and the the polished like, Instagram lifestyle really really freaks me. We out are too. selling each other avatars, and it's created a dishonesty. <laughs> it's created a level of, of insincerity mm. that is. It just buys into all of our insecurities as a culture or in, and as individuals that we're like, oh, we don't have to be ourselves. We don't have to openly communicate. And we clearly don't have to construct long thoughts because I can get this down in 180 characters. Yeah. The requirements are make it dumber. The requirements are make it sexier. The requirements are make it, you know... Uh, I think I said it. I have a very zen-like attitude about it. It's like we've been we, we used to say the same thing about cable news back in like the '90s and even the '80s, where yeah. like ca- cable news had to have the most what is the sexiest thing that we can squeeze into 90 seconds. Um, like having having worked in not worked in excuse me let me rephrase that having had to study like how broadcast journalism structures it. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, just the way it works. You have to like go in with the juiciest sexiest thing uh, as the story and then because like it's just how the inverted pyramid works and it's just yes but there was crazy but there was an inverted pyramid back then and there were gatekeepers to whether or not your voice was part of the conversation yeah now the gatekeepers are gone or dying out they're dinosaurs in in any yeah they're dinosaurs and now anybody can take pot shots Mm. and anybody thinks that they're part of the conversation when ultimately hey man I know we all have a voice but that voice needs to be pared down into representation, mm-hmm. which is why there's a voting process and why there's representatives and things. Because if we're all yelling at each other at the same fucking time, it's pointless. And I feel like with Twitter, and I've called it that many times, it's like the it's social media period is we've all kind of become these dope fiends where we're, we want that dopamine kick of a like or an upvote. Oh, yeah, it works. And, it and, still and, works. And, and, That's I mean, why we're still attached a, to Facebook after I mean, all this it time. It is a physical... It is a physical chemical dopamine kick, and we and 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 really, you just want to follow whoever makes you feel better about yourself. So you just want to follow the people who you agree with, and the people who follow you, they're going to agree with you. And there's really n- no point in having contrary thoughts mm-hmm. enter your timeline. So you're just the middle person in a human fucking centipede. You're just swallowing the shit of the person in front of you, and you're shitting it back out for the person who follows you. I totally agree with you. I just want to add the caveat that even. Even if you don't listen, even, even if you do shut yourself off to opposing views, there are still right and wrong views. Like, like let's, let's be real. Let's be real with that. I, I think we learned that this week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, plenty of people disagreed with me, and you know what? I loved Hellboy. Really, dude, I loved Hellboy. Really, I loved Hellboy. I thought it was the movie. I thought it was such a 
first off, the movie is bananas insane. It is. That we agree and, on. And, and it's excessively gory. Like, it, the movie did not have to be that gory. I found it offensively gory. Like I, offensively say, gory. I say this as a guy who's played Doom in Grand Theft Auto. It's like, it was offensively <laughs> gory. But that being said, it was... It, it took... It borrowed from so many of the Mike Mignola storylines and was such a fun celebration of all of them that I saw, like, several different... Hellboy storylines from the comics all pushed together in a pretty effective way. I felt like it had the it had a better no offense to Guillermo and company, but those sick and acts and like there were parts of the in the Guillermo Hellboys where I was like, okay, where is this going? You mm-hmm. know, like the second act of the first one, the third act of the of the last one, I was like, okay, what does Hellboy have to do by the end of this movie for it to happen? And I thought. Like, in that first one, he fights a dog in the sewers for, like, a half hour and then just throws a grenade at a demigod and blows it up at the end. And I was like, well, that's a little imbalanced. Here, I felt like the script was a lot more action-oriented. And it's like, okay, this is so... There's so much plot in this Hellboy movie. And it's just like, we gotta do this. We gotta do this to go to that, to go to this. And it's really fast. And if if you're not into it... The train has left the station, and you're just going to be every time you saw shit. every time you saw Ian McShane, the plot changed. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, my, but my, I was so with it, and I'm sitting there going, "Wait, are they going to do the Wild Hunt storyline, and then they're also going to do this storyline, and then they're going to do this storyline, and they're all kind of moving it in seamlessly?" And the makeup is not as good, the art direction is not as good, uh, but I'm watching it, and I, and and it's just kind of a celebration of the Hellboy stuff, and. As a Hellboy fan, I'm totally loving it. That Can being I, said, I totally see why some people hate it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> as a counterpoint to you, uh, again, I, I guess this entire podcast is just going to be me giving you my counterpoint. No, no. This is a crossfire. No, no, we agree on some stuff. Um, I loved it. Dis- despite its, uh, its more uh, devoted attitude towards the Manola comics, like, yes, it was a lot more... When Lobster Johnson showed up, I, know. I fucking lost my shit. <laughs> And I Lobster lost, Johnson was awesome. I lost my shit. Casting what? Thomas Hayden Church as I, Lobster Johnson dude, was inspired. I, I screamed out loud in the theater. I was like, what? But I, despite uh, despite that it treated the comics with a little more devotion, I think it I think it failed to achieve the tone of those comics in a way that I think Del Toro succeeded. No, it was straight up horror. This movie was straight up horror. And, the, was, and those comics are horror. Those comics are gothic horror. Those comics have... They were gothic horror, but they weren't... Have, those comic, comics have... Hell erupting. They have people getting split in half. Those comics have some really huge set pieces of like just cities getting destroyed. And this movie had that. So yeah, it was but, horrific. But it treated it treated the Manila comics as if it was like a like a like a like a superhero doom. <laughs> Which it never was, right. despite how bloody uh, the Manolo comics and how violent the Manolo comics were, just because of how Manolo not only like uh, wrote his stories but also illustrated them, they yeah. were far less about um, the oh look at all this the gore the gore and and also and also like the horror in in Hellboy was not very effective, um, despite having horror elements. No, I think not, the mood was the most effective. In, talk, the, in, talking, in the comics, I think yes, the mood is the most yes. effective, and and I think the best balance of this. Is because like the Baba Yaga stuff's insane, but the second I saw that chicken footed house of the Baba Yaga, I was like, are they really doing all these storylines in one movie? And I just yeah. thought it was so much fun. But I think that if you take it, oh god, I just, I just remembered about yeah, the kiss, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I just, I just remembered. So <laughs> but I think, I think if you at that point, I'm just laughing because they're having fun with it. Um, but I think that like this movie almost demanded a like, or the, the comics almost demand. A little bit more discipline in the um, in the image framing and in the art. Like, yeah, Manolo is a very we, distinct we, artist. We have yet to see that make that that take where yeah. it's like, oh, this almost looks like a German expressionist film. I, which is why I feel like Del Toro succeeded more just because of the way he lights and well, sure. he's not the he's not the cinematographer, but just the way that he framed everything and the way his the way he understood color. Sure. I, I found yeah. it. I found it a lot more. His movies are for sure better looking. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, in the art direction, like the yeah. costume, like uh, the makeup and stuff. Uh, Impeccable. I was not. The, yeah, this this one did not look as good. That being the, said, I love the script. I was like, let's have fun, baby. Let's go. There was one scene where in the new Hellboy, like he's fighting the giants, mm-hmm. and he picks up their giant sword, and it's as heavy as an Amazon box. Yeah, like it just it it, it physics didn't exist. Yeah, but he's also. <laughs> 
Hellboy. He's Hellboy, but like it he should does. still look like it have, should have some weight to it. Yeah. He picked this thing up like it was an empty box. Eric, you know what, man? You got to hit the gym, bro. <laughs> Get that pump. Get that pump, and you'll be rocking I, that I sword guess. at any time. <laughs> Um, so I, so I, I only point that out because we were talking about disagreements and, and if there were wrong opinions. And I was like, wait a minute, like, that's a movie that I felt like the geek media bullied in, in like an almost whorish, like, race to see who could write the most, uh, like, like the loudest, you know, uh, or, or meanest thing about a movie that I was like, guys, you're bullying a film. And you're in this feverish, you know, rabid race to see who can bury it harder. And the weird, and, and now I just feel, feel like I'm discrediting all of you because sec, well, like, count, you guys are just like trying to top each other at this point. Well, a counterpoint to that also is that they did have, you know, they have embargo times. So like yeah. everyone's writing theirs independently. And so like no one knows what anyone's going to say. Until the clock strikes whatever time sure, the, sure. their marker lifts, so it does look like it. It looks like a race because you do start seeing some clever, some of the more clever headlines like in your feed after a while. Yeah. But everyone, in theory, posts theirs at the same time, so no one knows what anyone. It, it doesn't become a race until it like looks like that way in your, on if, your feed. It, and that's a great point. That yeah. is a great point. Yeah. If anything, I would say that those embargoes work against the movie, not because you want to keep the movie secret in case you don't think the movie is very good, right. but you guys see these movies like a week before that embargo lifts. Generally speaking, yeah. And you have a week to fucking create, think of the most creative thing to say. Lift the embargo right away. They see the movie, they can lift the embargo the next day. They want to race to get the thing in the print. They don't have a week to be creatively awful. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they don't have a week to be fucking. Well, mean. with Hellboy, some, most of at least New York media had, mm-hmm. uh, had 12 hours. Wow. Or, or so. Like, like, it was less than. I saw the movie. I think one. Uh, I think the movie began like six a. No, no, twenty four hours. Excuse me. Yeah. So I saw the movie basically the night before, like okay. six 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 a six p.m. You really hated it. <laughs> I, I mean, like I was just I. Yeah, I was hey just man, like, like don't pull punches just because I'm here. For just even just because like even forgetting my my fan fan uh, fan devotion for Del Toro and the movies he did mm-hmm. for for Hellboy, just like even divorced from that, I had an unpleasant experience with with the new Hellboy. <laughs> Like, it was just very unpleasant. It be, yeah, and it can be offensive. Yeah. Like, it can be straight I, I, up offensive. And I'm not, like, offensive, like, oh, they said the F no, word. But, no. like, like it was it was offensive, like, just, like, to the senses. It was just, like, there was a, there was a, there was a it trafficked hard in excessiveness. Yeah, it was super excessive. And, like, there were, and it, it felt jarring when they did want to be uh, a little more uh, intimate or heartfelt. Sure. So, uh, so, so just like, like, oh, now you want to do this? Yeah, so I appreciated how uh, Ian McShane's character uh, had a... "Quote stronger bond to Hellboy than than the Del Toro mm-hmm. uh, relationship was, but like when it's happening on like a gooey worm body, <laughs> I can't. I'm like, how am I supposed to be feeling? <laughs> I don't know if you guys have earned this. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I got you, bro. Yeah, I got you, bro. <laughs> so, um, one movie we didn't see that also has tone issues, I think, and I think that this is a pretty common opinion of this one is. Um, is let me see. Did I move that? I, I changed the setting on this thing, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let's just make sure you're good. Yeah. Um, sorry about that, Geeks. Gave us um, Detective Pikachu. I so I have not seen this movie. Uh, I'm gonna let you talk because Eric, I've not seen it yet. This movie is so cute, and I just want to live in it. <laughs> that being said, five minutes after walking out of this film, I don't remember anything that happened. <laughs> it is so overwhelmingly cute, mm-hmm. and. It uh, is obviously a mystery, and it's a detective mystery, and it's got a lot of like shout-outs to like a noir style, and clearly, yeah. you know, some of the uh, the lighting is very blatant, yeah, some yeah. of the Maltese Falcon stuff, and in in that being said, it's colorful and it's cute, and you have so many Pokemon represented it, and it's great to go in. Not even just Gen 1, right? It's oh, like, no, it's, it's got so many generations of Pokemon. Yeah, in. yeah. I think that's and, cool. And yeah, I loved it. And you're watching this, and it's fun to just kind of watch everything on screen and be like, oh, my God, there's blank. There's another blank. There's a whole swarm of these blank Pokemon. And you're just naming Pokemon left and right, mm-hmm. and you're loving it, and it's such a celebration of Pokemon. 
It is the world you want to live in. It is the world that exists in the game. It is the world we th- thought we saw when we were playing Pokemon Go. Is that, yeah. is that it? Yeah, right, it cool. is. I mean, it's the movie that you thought, it's the world you thought you lived in when you were playing Pokemon Yellow and Pokemon Red and Blue. Like that is true. That was the world where people in these cities have pet Pokemon and they communicate with the Pokemon. They have a bond with the Pokemon. And there's Pokemon in the wild. The movie opens and they're trying to catch a Cubone in a field. And you're watching this and you're like, because of course there's a wild Cubone in the field. The world that they live in have wild Pokemon everywhere. It opens and you see them driving down. The, you see you see a, a shot down the street and there you pass a farm. And in the farm there's... Pokemon and there's you know duos and okay all those quick question then so in the world of Pokemon did the Pokemon replace animals like are there also no just like normal cows and chickens and dogs and I've always thought about this like in the world of not a damn one Eric really it's all the Pokemans you you (laughs) you open I think we open on like a, a a shot going like an aerial shot yeah and you're following a bunch of Pidgeotos into it, and then you you pass over a barn, and on the barn, there's like uh, another type of Pokemon on the roof of the barn, and then in the field there. Are I've always wondered about this about no, the world of Pokemon. The only animals, well, I mean, the trees are normal. I don't know yeah. why, why the trees are normal because there are tree Pokemon. Right. And I did expect like oddishes and stuff to come out of the fields and things, but um, for the most part, other than the like flora. Is that the flora? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Other than the plants, everything is a Pokemon. Okay, so how do you have a hamburger in the world of Pokemon? What is the meat? Oh, you're eating fucking Pokemon. <laughs> oh, you're straight what up. What Pokemon? <laughs> oh, you're eating fucking Pokemon meat. What? <laughs> you are, and not only are you eating Pokemon meat, but there's a scene in like a, like a Chinatownish market. Yeah. Like a, like a food market at night. And um, there's like a Charizard. The Charizard is, uh, is helping like... Heat the pan that like his owner is like cooking and with and stuff like that and so the Pokemon are fully integrated and helping in society, which is cute, right? Cool. Yeah, you have. Like, I'm just trying to figure out how the you have ecosystem like a machamp works. like directing traffic, right? Yeah, like yeah. you have all this fun stuff. I'm just trying to figure out how so, like, the, the ecosystem works. So they're straight up serving food, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so that Charizard is cooking some Pokemon meat. Oh, there. If you're not a, a vegetarian in this world, and maybe even if you are a vegetarian, you're still eating Pokemon. Like you're eating. Did they make that clear? Did they, did they? No, you can't be doing that with kids in the theater. Okay. There's so many. I'm like, here I am, like I'm basically a fucking creeper watching this fucking Pokemon with the kids in the theater, <laughs> and I watched this. And I was like, excuse me, you didn't give me the free cards. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you get the cards? No, I didn't ask for the cards. The AMC was supposed to give you cards. I didn't ask for no cards. Um, but I'm sitting here watching this movie. This dude is just sitting, there, you know, watching this movie with all these kids, and. Um, and, 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 and yeah, no, you're fucking eating Pokemon meat, dude. Wait, I'm, I'm picturing you watching the movie with the kids. I'm picturing that image of Adam Sandler in, I think, Billy Madison when he's surrounded by all the kids in, in, like, the, fir- in like the first grade when he's like sitting down. Oh, Do you remember no, that movie? I, yeah, no, I hear you. <laughs> I accept what you're saying, and I will not deny it. Yeah. And <laughs> like when, when the Pokemon were doing awesome stuff, and you're like, yeah, I've always wanted to see like... A Magikarp turned into Gyarados like on fucking screen. Oh like my this God. is did sick. That? This is sick. They did that. Too, I'm like yeah. high five and five year olds next to me. I'm like yeah. Like <laughs> people are like don't touch my kids. <laughs> but I mean, I gotta tell you, man. Like straight up, that movie. I walked out and was like, "Wow, that was really what happened in that movie." <laughs> the, 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 you don't remember the, the story. The script, the writing, the, yeah. it was not the greatest. And then you start hearing the writers on line start talking about how they want to tackle a Zelda movie. I'm like, "You leave the Zelda movie to me. You leave that alone. You leave that alone." <laughs> Um, I recommend Detective, Detective Pikachu if you're like a Pokemon. I'm definitely going to see it. I just have. If you're a Pokemon fan, go to it because it's such a colorful celebration of Pokemon and I want mm. them to make a sequel in this world for sure I want to see this world again don't want to see it done like this mm. uh, narratively story wise it was Roger Rabbit without the better writing of Roger Rabbit you know what I mean like Roger Rabbit's writing is so great yeah and it, it is a similar thing like a, 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 a cartoon character with a live action person trying yeah, to yeah. solve a mystery but it doesn't have nearly the writing talent or the storytelling talent that I don't want to say that because there's actual writers and storytellers, and I don't really know if they're. Te- I mean, this is a movie, and, right. and it goes through and it goes through a process, and sometimes the writing doesn't make it to screen properly. And it was also like like when Roger Rabbit came out, it was just like a different time in film. 
too. Well, Zemeckis was at his fucking yeah. Uh, Zemeckis was awesome. I still, I'm still haunted by the uh, by the end when he's just like, "Remember me, remember uh, me, Eddie." Roger Rabbit is so damn good. Yeah, and Roger Rabbit had some horrific stuff. Like oh, you yeah. see tunes getting killed. Yeah. Oh yeah. And this, you do see some stuff where you're like, "Whoa, that was a little much." Um, like them cooking Pokemon, but but, <laughs> but, 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 the, but, but the but Detective Pikachu is coming out in a completely different. The story like, just wasn't ecosystem. as tight. Yeah, yeah. The story just wasn't as tight. Okay. And also, something like you look at Roger Rabbit, and I love the way that Roger Rabbit is kind of like also doing shout outs to like Chinatown and different noirish films where it's like, oh, there's the other side of the tracks, right? Oh, that's Toontown. <laughs> you know, it's like. Great. It's so creative because it can also celebrate all those noir films, those detective films, and it in Roger Rabbit does such a great job of doing that. I wish that this movie had a little bit more of a structure that um, that was also a love letter to things beyond Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And um, that being said, they, it's not like they try and just stuff Pokemon in every frame and just try and shove Pokemon in there. Yeah. They're trying to tell a pretty good story, and I think they almost got there. Um, it's just. It just wasn't. There weren't moments where I was like, "Oh, that was a great character beat." Do you think it's kind of a miracle, like, like not not to overglorify corporate product here, but like it is kind of a miracle that that movie got made before an actual film adaptation of like the original like story of of like Pokemon either of either like Red or Ash. Just like like like, yeah. it's amazing that we did not get this story of Ash, Misty, and Brock, or even like original Red Trainer. There are hints in this one that that is the same universe. Yeah, um, but I've I heard. but like um, I think those stories have been done to death. Like I think just not there, there's action. not a single person I know who's played through Let's Go Pikachu or, or Eevee that has finished it because we're finding ourselves seventy five percent of these games realizing we've already played these games like three or four times. Okay. And that being said, I'm I'm about three quarters of the way through Let's Go Pikachu, and I've played Pokemon Yellow, I've played Pokemon Red, I've played these, and then I've started playing them again on the on the on the uh, what did I play it on the 3DS when I downloaded it from the eShop? Oh, again, yeah, like, all the ports come out, yeah. I've played through the story three times. I'm about to play through the story a fourth time. I think that. We don't need to see adaptations of the sure. cartoons that you guys grew I, up with. I just no, I, I just think it's like it's amazing that like someone somewhere who would make these decisions just because of like uh, just because of how we've seen nostalgia sure. properties work. Like you always have to do the origin of the first thing that like that is that is what the I, big buster. Well, they're not keeping Sonic out. in the Sonic universe. They're keeping <clears> in our universe, and it's been you know Sonic found himself in our universe. Yeah, that's true. From what I can tell from the trailers, that Sonic is from like whatever universe he's from yeah. that has the Green Hill Zone in it, and we're Earth, and Sonic has found himself in Earth. I'm just thinking back to like how Power Rangers had to have. Had to be the first season again. Like it had had to be the first. That newest Power Rangers that just came out. The twenty seventeen movie. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, I like. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. But like, I'm just thinking about like when you take a nostalgic property, you have to do like the thing that people are most familiar with. Oh, the zero. Like you have to do like the yeah. I yeah, that, that, that's what I'm saying. And so it's amazing to me that like we still didn't get the Red Trainer slash Ash Mystery Brock story. Before want, yeah, Detective Pikachu, because be like most people are just like, why Detective Pikachu? And when I when I sit, when I tell people, I'm like, oh, it's from a video game. They're like, I didn't play that game because it came out only a couple of years ago. That's what you're saying is yeah. why didn't we get a person tries to win the tournaments and go up against like the top six or whatever they're called? Yeah, yeah. In, I, instead, instead we get why this, is it not a Karate Kid tournament story? Yeah, yeah. Which is like again, I'm great. I'm glad we didn't. Have, I'm glad someone made made a creative, cool decision to just be like, let's do something else. Yeah, let's but do it, a you would think that with something like Pokemon and all, and, all, and all the cultural clout it's got, yeah, you would go back to the thing that the millions of people, millions of adults grew up with as kids and, and would be willing to take their. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's just like it's amazing that they didn't go that route. And I'm not saying that like they made like a miraculous decision here. It's just like it's kind of like wow. There's a weird aberration in our timeline where that movie. We got the Detective Pikachu movie first before... And Enter the Dragon other. one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All you Pokemon trainers have been brought to an island to fight each other with Pokemon. <laughs> That'll be the next movie. It's like a, a flying guillotine Pokemon <laughs> movie. Pokemon are just eviscerating people. <laughs> just feels like an aberration, that's all. <laughs> um, that's a good point, and I do want to see this world again. Yeah. Very much. Very yeah. much so. I loved watching this movie. 
it just wasn't very deep. It mm-hmm. just it was pretty cursory. Um, I think there's a deeper movie to, to. I think there's a deeper movie in this universe. Um, that being said, John Wick three. Sure. That's been my problem with all the John Wicks is that these movies are so impressive on the choreography and the action, but they're, 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 the story is so thin that by the end of the movies, you're kind of bored by just the blur of choreography and the blur of, um, of spectacle that's going off on screen. And in the third movie, it's got some incredible stuff in it. Holy shit. The dog sequence? The dog sequence. It's got to be my favorite because hashtag dogs. But I love the dog sequence. Mm. And I also really love the one in the Ancient Weapons Collector museum thing. That was incredible. It was relentlessly awesome. And the fight against Bobon from the 76ers in the library is fantastic. That being said, I think that when we start to talk about the, the John Wick movies... What we found ourselves doing is we start to talk about the first couple fight scenes that happen in, a mo- in the movies, mm-hmm. because after a while, and it kind of it's kind of a shame because Mark Dacascos is so fucking good in this movie. Oh man! That by the time you reach the second, like the the halfway point in any of the John Wick's movies, you're actually exhausted, and you're exhausted by. I think you need a little bit more from a movie. Than relentless fight scenes mm-hmm. because it does start to feel like you're watching, looking over somebody's shoulder playing Street Fighter. You know what I mean? Like you're just watching fight after fight after fight after fight. Yeah. And there's, and and yes, there are plot revelations. There's like, there's a lot of plot. There's like, and there's, there's the, the shifts. Sto- and there's the like, like the never-ending story of John but, Wick. But like, where's the a, pathos and that stuff? Like, where's the thing that, like, he lost everything he cared for in the first movie. So now you're just watching this relentless force. There is a pathos, and I don't think it's a very good one. Or, or I don't think it's a very, uh, uh, it's not one that can build, that can really, like, sustain a franchise, if, if, if so. The pathos is, is that John Wick, no matter what, is never going to be happy. He's never going to have a moment of quiet because everyone is always going to be after him. But where's which the, the three dimensionality? Right, that? exactly. So, like, like, there is a through line here, but I, I, I am concerned. That we're never gonna see the end of it because the directors have said on record that like there is never gonna be an end because like they're, they're, they seem only interested in pulling off these amazing action sequences and they're fucking incredible and they're incredible <laughs> legitimately they're amazing. Incredible. they they should already have like the lifetime achievement award for that <laughs> these movies I mean we were cheering so hard in those first couple <laughs> fight scenes which is why I'm also like concerned I'm like okay. I like to think of this movie, this series as a trilogy. It will continue. Like, it's going to continue no matter what because oh, people are going to see these movies. They straight up said it but, at the end of this movie. Yeah, but like, I want, the, I, want, I want to consider it a trilogy because I'm concerned that by four, five, six, we're going to be exhausted just as, we're going to be as exhausted as John Wick is unless they really start changing the formula, unless they really start changing right. something that's inherent to the uh, uh, story divorced from how how they produce the action scenes. I find myself numb by the end of these movies. Mm-hmm. Where, which, again, Geekscape, is, if you haven't seen the movie, is kind of a shame because Mark Dacascos in this film, it's his freaking coming out party. Do you know his secret history as a Power Ranger? I don't, but I've met Mark from... I had a, a stunt coordinator named... Um, uh, why am I blanking on your on, on James Liu's name? I had, a, <laughs> I had a son coordinator named James Liu, and James Liu used to have these dinners where he mm. would have a lot of his kung fu buddies together. And and I met Mark Dacascos at one of his dinners. And um, nicest guy in the world, by the way. On another level, well, Michael J. White's there too. So like, they're all super nice. And I'm like, all oh, these guys could kill me, <laughs> and they're all super nice. Thank God oh, they're yeah. all nice because yeah. everyone in this room could fucking kill me. Right, right. Um, and. When people are talking about this movie, beyond talking about the choreography and the fact that it's outrageous, um, I think they're talking a bit about Holly Berry. And I think they're very much talking about Mark Dacascos. I am glad that Mark Dacascos is finally having his moment because he's been in Hollywood for years. Totally. And like he has been, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. He has been like one of the first Asian faces I've seen in Hollywood, and like whatever productions you want to call it. Even though it was like what Double Dragon that he was doing, and not yeah, and like, like, like in it, the '90s, it was like they, it's like they kept trying to stutter, and like his career kept being like, oh, this guy's the next guy, this he, guy's the next guy. He told me uh, when I interviewed him for Inverse a while back, he told me that in Hollywood, like race was a factor. He was not Asian enough to play like exotic characters. He was not white enough to be, always play the hero, so he was always stuck. So he wasn't Jet Li and Jackie Chan, but and he, he wasn't, wasn't white, yeah. and he wasn't 
well, Keanu Reeves is also part Asian, but like, like he wasn't the Keanu Reeves either, right? Which is like fascinating that he's now fighting Keanu Reeves. Um, but that's like the that's been the journey of Mark Dacascos is that finally he had to. I mean, like I, I'm not eloquent enough enough to illustrate his 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 journey as a career uh, mm-hmm. as, as an artist, but it took having to fight John Wick for people to like notice him. But he's phenomenal. And he's phenomenal. And he's, and he's been phenomenal for years. And he's years. so funny in it, and like his character's weird. He's a fanboy. And and the other thing is like. The dude from the raid is in this. The dude played Mad Dog. Yeah, and I, like I love that actor. I am also mad, mad that those guys are starting are st- also like on a career trajectory as almost Mark Dacascos because these those guys have shown up in like big Hollywood movies, totally, but haven't like had the leading moment. Like, yes, I get it. They don't speak English that well, but like I I think we're at a point where we care less about that and more about just like can you they, can they just like kick ass in a and, movie and like carry this, a character? Car- yeah, they're all kicking ass. Yeah. I mean. Some of the stuff they're pulling off with both camera and performance, <laughs> like that scene where there's a scene very early on in Geekscape is where you guys kind of know the plot doesn't matter. Um, every bounty hunter in is looking for John Wake. They're all trying to kill him at the end of the second movie. He's done something that has turned himself into a wanted man in the in the badass everybody in New York can kill you mm-hmm. underworld and um, they chase him into this place where it's like a museum and behind these pieces of glass in these cases they've got knives and all these like they look like medieval weapons yeah it was like <laughs> ancient they, weaponry and they just start smashing the windows to grab any weapon they can and they start using them on each other Holy shit! That fight scene. There was yeah. There was one thing um, when I when I when I interviewed the director too. I was not able to talk to him about this, but I wanted to talk to him about how uh, adapting modern tactical choreography to ancient weapons, like like that's got to be something surreal. That it's scene like, was amazing, and also yeah. the, the choreography with the dogs. Yes, there's a scene with a, with two attack dogs that are just. It, Leaping over it. walls. One, oh, they're just fucking smacking down on people's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> there was, was amazing. Film, there was a film critic who dismissed it as like, oh, it just looks like CGI. And then like, they what were, are you talking? They were like, about? no, that was done on camera. Who <laughs> thought like, that that was CGI? I don't, I don't recall the critic. No, Pokemon. Those dogs were CGI. Yeah. No, they're, I don't. Recall the, I don't recall the critic, unfortunately. The, but like, like it was like a tweet headline. It was just like. Like this um, didn't look like these looked. It like, didn't. They, they were real. They were real on camera. Like I can. I've, I've, I've also interviewed the director about that. Oh, yeah, those like German Malamute type dogs? They were they're Belgian Malamois. Belgian Malamois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those fucking things are brutal. Yeah. Those are attack dogs. They're, These things are going at it. Yeah, they're the, they're the dogs used by like the Secret Service and everything. Yeah. Like, that's, that's why they chose those dogs, because they knew that those dogs were up for the job to uh, leap over walls. Oh, and, and, it is yeah. relentless. I'm watching this, and I'm just like... As a dog lover, you must This doesn't see. end. Yes, <laughs> when, the, when the dogs go rocking out, I'm like, dude, who even needs weapons when you got these dogs? Yeah. These dogs are killing. Felt it. like vengeance for... Because I, I re-watched the first one, uh, getting ready for the third one, and oh. I'm just like... Yeah, yeah, and then it's, and it's just like to watch that scene after... When the dog dies, yeah. Yeah, to, to, to watch the, the Belgian Malinois kick ass after... Watching the the poor what was it, Beagle? Yeah, little yeah, Beagle yeah, dies. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, just like, no. yeah, vengeance. And I vengeance. love that pit bull at the beginning of this movie. Oh I love God. the pity from the second one in the beginning of this I'm movie. I'm glad that he's never like had to get another dog. Like yeah. like I'm glad that like that pit bull has, has like stayed with him. And guys, so if you want to see John Wake, I I recommend that you see it in the theaters. I I think that it's a spectacle movie. I think it's got a lot of great choreography in it. But just pace yourselves because by the end of this movie you're gonna be pretty worn out. It is yeah. Non-stop fighting. There's not a whole lot of breath. In I movie. am not uh, uh, uncomfortable, or or I'm not hesitant in saying that. Like the John Wick movies are a great, maybe the best action trilogy of of this decade. Um, yeah, I mean, what else do you have? There's Taken, but Taken got really tired by the Taken. Taken, like I didn't even bother with Taken Two. Like, like, oh really? Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't there's, a, there's a sequence in Taken Two where the daughter's just like running around rooftops, throwing grenades. <laughs> It's fucking, really? Yeah, she's running around like like Venice or someplace, you yeah. know, in either Italy or, or France, and she's got grenades, and she's just tossing grenades left and right so her father can find them. I'm like, you're tossing grenades in a population zone. Like, this is nothing, none of this is good. Taken, Taken was just one scene, and it was the one scene where Liam Neeson threatens the other person. There's some cool stuff in Taken. There's, where, some, like, there's some stuff. There's some good stuff, but the formula was done yeah. after that. And yeah. Yeah. And they tried to squeeze two more movies out of it, and they, and it was a very diminishing returns. Yeah. Here, I feel like it's such a constant, mm-hmm. and the quality of the fight choreography and the camera is getting 
more creative. Mm-hmm. It's getting a little bit more superhero-y, and but I, but I don't think it's I don't think it's Fast and the Furious superhero. No, no, it. Th- uh, they've been inter- it's been interesting to watch them expand the world because it is getting a lot more science fiction-y. Like, we are starting to see a, a lot more intricate... We are starting to see a lot more rules play out. Like, I never would have imagined the... Uh, I don't want to... I don't know what the proper word for them, but, like, when you see the inside of the Continental and you see all the tattooed yeah. people, and it's just like... It's this like is an Aliens movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it is almost a science fiction movie. It is... And they've got this whole underworld, and literally... Everyone in New York City seems to be behind a newspaper that they lower and watch you, and they can kill you with like the ending of John Wick Two. Honestly, I think it pushed it too far. Everybody in New York wants to kill him. Yeah, like really? Like this little baby on the street corner is also a killer. Giving him shade, he's like, "I'll kill you." Yeah, I'll Uh, kill you with my pacifier. (laughs) I I I love the John Wick. I love the John Wick movies to death. Uh, I just think. I'm I am just concerned about where it's going to go from here because there's only one way to go, and it's. uh, in this current trajectory, I wonder if it, if there will be like just a fatigue, a fatigue of of its own doing. Like yeah. it's not like oh another John Wick movie. It's more like okay, how much further can they push the con- this concept of like ultra realistic, ultra stylish fight scenes with an expanding borderline science fiction universe about the underworld of assassins? Mm-hmm. It's like there is a juxt- there there are two things happening here, and mm-hmm. I don't know how. Future movies can like keep these uh, two like, like you can two trains it, like and you can have it realistic or you can have it straight up silly. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. This, I mean, that being said, it's pretty impressive what they're doing. Yeah, very impressive. This, I mean, this stuff is creative. If they, these fights are incredible. If they do it right, like maybe won't bat an eye if John Wick ends up in space. Like we, we if they do it right, we he fights won't. the leprechaun. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he fights Jason X. <laughs> That's what horror movies do, and yeah. in a way, this is very much like the horror movie trope, where it's like the, there's this unstoppable force, and you're just gonna watch it plow through stuff for the next two hours. Imagine watching—I mean, like I'm pretty sure the Friday the Thirteenth movies would be completely different if we just followed Jason the entire time. That may be what this is, the Baba Yaga. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Eric, you're out here for this. D and D live. Oh yeah, thing. and <laughs> you're gonna, and you're going to write up the D and D live stuff for Inverse, so we can find your stuff on Inverse. Yes, I've already got a couple uh, articles there as What's well. What's the story on the D and D live? Because sure. I remember it was last year, and it's just a bunch of people DMing and sure. stuff like that. Wizards so of the Coast basic big celebration. Yeah. So basically, the, over the last five years, Wizards of the Coast has seen unprecedented unprecedented growth in their product with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I it's not just Stranger Things. It's not just people being like, "Oh, Game of Thrones is popular now, so D and D is popular." A lot of them credit Fifth Edition for really boosting life back into the hobby, back into the game, just because of the way it allows a lot more creative freedom and it's not so bogged down by like MMO style rules. Basically, what I'm getting at is that this D and D Live is the culmination of a lot of careful planning. Um, and, and again, I want to make it clear that I have no, almost nothing to do with Wizards of the Co- Wizards of the Coast. I'm just here as a reporter. Here's what I'm observing, and based on like facts and and and, and interview quotes, D and D Live is based on is a mini convention. Uh, I call it mini convention. They're never going to say mini convention, but that's what it is. That's how it behaves. There's a main show of where where they have like games. a main stage. They have a main stage uh, yeah. of of either either uh, games being run by like popular DMs and like popular personalities, or it's like on Friday they'll have like a keynote, quote unquote. Um, basically think of like an Apple keynote but instead of people standing in front of like a black screen and unveiling new product they're just going to have like the people you know and love talking about the new things that are coming out i.e. new modules new storylines maybe some new products like oh there's a new kit that includes these things and this is how the game or whatever or like new collaborations like they announced a new they announced a sequel to the Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons comic they also announced a new Rick and Morty Stranger Thing. Uh, excuse me, a new Rick and Morty D and D kit. That's so you, cool. you can play like Rick's campaign. Uh, it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so basically, just to get back to it, uh, they have that, and they only ha- and they have a marketplace, and right. that's it. No panels, no workshops, no nothing. So people are just kind of either going to those keynotes or, or watching or shopping. Yeah. Or they're shopping. So it is a very small quote convention. Right. Maybe three hundred people maximum at this weekend. Which is a good size. Uh, it reminds me of early Power Morphicon, uh, back when Power Morphicon was like this like weird thing that. Anyway, well, but uh, to get back to it, D and D Live is basically uh, was it, it is basically the summer event for Dungeons and Dragons because 
the uh, the the hobby slash game slash lifestyle has seen uh, unprecedented unprecedented popular popularity in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's playing it now. Like it, it, it's no longer the weird. It hasn't been the weird thing to play. No. Uh, in years, but like you can, especially now, there's no you, stigma to it. Yeah, yeah, there hasn't been a stigma. I think since the 2000s, like agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even the early 2000s when like 3.5 was around, it's like, yeah, you can maybe make fun of like people playing Dungeons and Dragons, but then you're you're the asshole for you're doing the that. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D and D has been quote cool for a long time now. Ever, um, but could you use that in high school? <laughs> yeah, but but five e just makes it a lot more accessible. Right. Like I was able today to just sit down at a table with a character that that I did not roll and still play the game and still have a lot of fun. For sure, so, just because like of how accessible the game rules. It's about storytelling. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So um, again, D and D Live takes place in Los Angeles, and this is an, in terms of like Wizards of the Coast promotion. This is the, an opportunity for them to like show off the new product. So is it like it's like they're they're. What's the Disney event? Like D twenty? D twenty three, yeah. But again, it's like it's not it's very convention light. Like you, right. you come here, you're not going into a convention hall. You want They're, the announcements, you, yeah, you, you want to buy some dice. You want the announcements, you want to buy some merchandise. There's not even a lot of merchandise. Like sure. they have a couple Wormwood didn't even bring their like uh what do you call it? Their their dice trays. They only mm-hmm. had like the dice vaults and the char- and the character vaults. That's it. Like like that's all they brought. They didn't bring a lot of product. Joe Manganiello from Death Saves. He brought his T-shirts. He didn't bring out like he didn't bring out the hoodies. He didn't bring out like right. the whatever. He just brought the T-shirts. Like like that's and you can just like talk to him uh, while he's like standing by his booth. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you need something? Do you need a drink? Uh, do we have something? a water? Here. Right, cool, cool, cool. No, Hold you're on. good. You're you, good. You can cut this out, right? I'm not going to cut anything out right now. Eric Francisco is choking. Thank you. And if he continues to choke, you will be <laughs> the recipients of that. It will be hilarious. <laughs> I won't let him die, Geek Davis. <laughs> so it, it is a fascinating experience just because, like, I have obviously been to the big conventions. I've even been to, like, the big niche conventions. Like, I've been to RTX, the Rooster Teeth convention. Yeah. Um, and it still behaves in many ways like a convention. Like, I think Rooster Teeth has a more dedicated audience, like, a more from, like more than the Comic-Con because Comic-Con is just everything. It's everything. It's, it's everything. psychotic. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, it's, it's fascinating to find something like Dungeons & Dragons, which is big, has a lot of production value. I should I should mention that too. The main stage is sick for Dungeons for D and D Live. It looks like a medieval village, right? Look, it Everything looks like a, so. The main stage is like a castle yeah. with like a, an intricate table with like all these dwarven forge miniatures. Wow. It's professionally lit. Um, when you're in the studio, it's really a studio. You see like uh, cameras. You see camera cranes. Um, there's like uh, uh, impromptu lighting effects. You see. Sound effects, lighting, music, everything. It is a very lavish production. So when I say mini convention, don't think of like the old basement Comic Cons. It really is like a, a really like intricately produced Disney World almost uh, 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 production. It's just very intimate and small, mm-hmm. uh, which is fascinating. Um, there's a lot of questions here that I have personally. Um, what does growth look like? Uh, in a, a couple more years, more people are going to want to go to this thing. Wizards of the Coast being a business, they're not going to say no to more paying right. customers. But like, how do you expand growth in a way that doesn't become unwieldy, especially when you have something like D&D, where you want to give people the experience of playing Dungeons & Dragons? This was the first year where they allowed people to play the new product at a certain time. But it seems to be personal. Yeah, but, but it's personal because yeah. they only have this many people. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm gesturing here. Uh, I know this is audio, but I'm gesturing. Um, my hands are close together. They, they have yeah. this many people now. I'm widening now my, my arm space. Imagine when they have this many people. Right. And it's going to be, at one point, it, it is going to be unwieldy. They're going to have to really consider how they run their product, uh, their, their events in a way that's different from any other convention on the planet. Uh, I was talking to some folks, uh, just like not not people associated with wizards, but just fans. They have a lot of good ideas. Fans were talking about uh, they'd love to see like localized events, like instead of just having one big event in LA that could become like too big too fast. I think more people are open to the idea of like D and D Chicago, D and D London, D- yeah, yeah, D and D New York. And again, like we're just I was just talking to fans. No one this, that is no one from Wizards of the Coast. I was just talking to fans, right. like, like you know when you're standing online and you're just like like shooting the shit. Um, yeah, that's 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 just me, just like me being uh, on the ground on the scene and uh, talking to folks and seeing what the what the pulse is. I, I'm cub reporter Eric. Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. What's uh, the story here? Uh, you got but, like a press hat. You, I'm cub reporter. <laughs> do you know anything about the new storyline? Because it's really cool. No. 
the real new storyline is really really freaking cool. Uh, it's ba- they they've called it Mad Max in Hell. That's not the actual title for it, uh, but like like that's the selling point. It's just like imagine Mad Max, but you're in the Netherworld. So basically, uh, it's called Baldur's Gate: Descent into Avernus. You probably are freaking out with the name Baldur's well, yeah, Gate, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's huge. So th- so this is the first time I think of an official D and D canon in for fifth edition. That Baldur's Gate is going to be a, a, a setting. I don't quote me on that. I That's don't. I don't know my D and D lore that well. Uh, but, it's, but it's like a very popular. Yes, I mean, like the fact that they have Baldur's Gate yeah, in the title is a big huge. deal. So the the storyline takes place in Baldur's Gate, uh, but it becomes quickly overrun by the forces of the Nine Hells. Uh-huh. So uh, you and your party are transported into Avernus, the first layer of Hell. And you have to do some stuff. You have to, you know, fight evil, blah, blah, blah. To start closing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To start closing things. The cool thing is, is that um, the, 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 the Avernus is basically a wasteland. Um, Mad uh, Max style. Mad Max style. So there are, like, these rolling nightmares called uh, uh, Infernal War Machines. Basically, think of them as, like, giant tanks. Uh, think of them as, like, tanks. What was the name of that movie that Peter Jackson produced? Infernal Engines or whatever? Mortal Engines? Mortal Engines. But like more sinister. <laughs> I, I, I get a stronger did you feeling. See Mortal of, Engines? I did not see Mortal Engines. Um, the one that, uh, for some reason, this is where my my brain goes to. Remember in Serenity the movie? Yeah. Remember when they like uh, when when Mal had to be like, we need red paint and we need to stick our bodies onto onto our ship, and people are just like, we we can't do take our t- t- turn our home like that. But like he had to do that in order to get through Reaver territory. That's what the, the the infernal war machines look like to me. They're monstrosities. There's spikes coming out of them. Corpses on them. Yeah, cor- uh, maybe corpses on them. Yeah. There's like they're cobbled together by like really like makeshift metals. Nothing is elegant. It's all just like whatever whatever scraps we have. Just like put it on and like just like go. Um, and like that's the land is populated with these war machines, and uh, you're allowed to like hijack them. You're allowed to like uh, take over. You're allowed to drive them. You're allowed to use them. There's a lot of cool vehicle mechanics in this that I think is very exciting for D&D. Um, I, think they f- I think they figured out how to have vehicles in this game that isn't absurd, that isn't like... I mean, it's absurd. because yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's Dungeons and Dragons. Well, yeah, at what yeah. point do you not... I mean, yeah, where yeah. are people drawing lines on stuff? Right. Hey, wait a minute. I love that Like, no one is questioning why there's like uh, engines in, in, yeah. in, in, in D&D it's anymore. fantasy. You guys got to deal yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, got to just deal with it. Yeah, but uh, I got to say, I played... The, I played uh, a, like, they had demos, quote-unquote, um, mm-hmm. this morning. They called it like epic runs where you like... They distill the campaign down to like its essence and they let you play it. I played it. Yeah, it was, it was freaking awesome, dude. It was, it was just like playing Mad Max or Fast and Furious, but D and D, and it's it's actually a lot of fun. Okay, well, Geeks gave us. I am an orphaned D and D player because my DM, what Keith, happened? Keith Trailins, moved to Dallas. So oh my god! I have a fifth level rogue halfling that is looking <laughs> for a campaign. If any of the Geekscapes are listening and they want to be like, hey, Jonathan, join my local Los Angeles game, <laughs> uh, I will be there and I'll be ready to hide in the shadows and mm. strike with fury. Um, Geekscape is Eric's out here, but he's got an early flight. I'm going to have to let him go. Thanks. Um, I love talking to you guys and I love talking to you, dude. I missed being on this podcast. Well, you can be on podcast any time you want. Okay. <laughs> uh, that being said, I'm only going to do the podcast when <sighs> it is inherent. For me to do so. <laughs> that being said, um, I've asked for a lot. I've solicited a lot of guests coming up, mm-hmm. and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I will always try because hashtag Geekscape forever. You know, when we recorded when I, my first appearance on the podcast in 2014, uh, I, I got a real kick that the guest who followed me was Sean Astin. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was really insane. I was just like, oh, you, you can you can find it on the RSS feed. It's like Eric Francisco, Sean Astin, <laughs> and I was can like, you know whoa. What? <laughs> They're all equals here under Geekscape. Yeah. We're all friends. Cool. Um, Geekscape is, I love you guys. And if you're a new Geekscapist, we've really exploded kind of. Uh, we, we've had an uptick in numbers. We've had an uptick on our Facebook page. We've Good. had an uptick in a lot of places. So wherever you find Geekscape, whether it be Facebook, on the podcatchers, on Instagram, on Twitter, Infernal Pit Twitter, uh, <laughs> wherever you find Geekscape, that's Geekscape. Uh, obviously, you can find us at Comic Con this summer at the booth. But. Befriend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. 
I love this new Xbox Game Pass show that yeah. Mika and Derek have Yo, shout together. out to Derek and, and, and everyone else on that. And, and thank you, Matt, for helping continue to run the Geekscape network. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff, as we said, coming up from Geekscape. Beyond just a brand new site, we've got all these different film projects. Uh, you're a part of that. And whenever you guys are, um, whenever you guys participate in Geekscape, whether it's commenting on the uh, for, on the I called them forums, whether it's commenting on the Facebook or it's tweeting or it's sharing it, that all helps, and it helps us continue this thing to keep it moving because we're doing this for you guys. So share the podcasts, leave reviews. That really helps our visibility when you go on like a podcatcher like iTunes and just leave us a review. Five stars, man. That super helps. Uh, so I really appreciate it. Whether or not this is your first Geekscape or you've been listening for years. Write another one. It always helps. Um, Eric, dude. You're, Jonathan. You're, you're one of my proudest achievements. Oh, man. <laughs> so glad I'm here. You, you guys didn't see it because it's an audio podcast, but we just like did a really cool like handshake. handshake. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Eric was a geekscapist, and we met at lunch at Comic-Con. I remember that. Through our friend Blake Harris. Blake just released a new book, and it's very good. His, he was on Geekscape for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The uh, History of the Future. Yeah. So go back and listen to that one on the feed, Geekscapist. Uh, we'll be back with another episode I think later this week or next week uh, and obviously Ian Kerner and I are going to sit down for a little X-Men Dark Phoenix and take you through that thing oh my god on a special isn't yeah. it crazy that we have the greatest X-Men storyline coming to theaters and no one's like excited isn't that kind of strange yeah <laughs> uh, that being said I have my hopes up yeah hey, I don't want any movies to fail I don't, I don't want any movies I don't to want any movies to fail even Hellboy yeah, I was rooting for Hellboy. I, I was rooting for lot. Hellboy. I, I, I was, if anything, your thoughts on Hellboy helped uh, temper my expectations and allowed me to enjoy the film. So I must <laughs> thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah, I was just like, this movie's not going to be very good because Eric Francisco said so. And I kept finding myself being like, yeah, that was kind of tight. <laughs> <laughs> Geekscape is I love you. Uh, Geekscape forever. Over and out. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.